The mountains are calling. Let's escape the noise. This is episode 36 of the Just Trek podcast. Welcome to the Just Trek podcast, where elevation is our recreation. This is your host, Justin Just Rock Ramon, coming to you from Los Angeles. On this show, you will hear stories and adventures from inspirational hikers, explorers, weekend warriors, to even creatives in the LA community and beyond. Join the Just Trek crew on our journey to True North. We aim to inspire, motivate, and elevate you to a higher state of well being. You can follow us on Instagram at just.trek. Facebook.com slash Just Trek Official and our website JustTrek.net. Just Trek crew, what it do? This is your host, Just Rock. On this episode, my special guest goes by the name Devin Kelts. He is a California-based trekker, musician and producer, purpose and intersexual dynamics coach, founder of Better to Greater, and is an ultra trail runner. On today's episode, we talk about the differences between NorCal and SoCal, his top trail running experiences such as the Marin Ultra Challenge and Bishop 100K, the Badwater Basin Race, overcoming addiction and achieving sobriety, his transition from starting a band and becoming a songwriter, to becoming a purpose-driven coach. We chat about the importance of growth mindset, how trail running has enriched his overall life, and the one outdoor experience he would relive all over again. Here's a conversation I hope you enjoy. Before we jump into the conversation, I want to let you know that the Just Trek merch store is officially live right now. If you would like to support my podcast journey and represent Just Trek on your adventures, please make sure to check out justtrek.net slash shop. That is J-U-S-T-T-R-E-K dot N-E-T slash shop. We currently have new merch available for purchase. I appreciate you all so much, and now let's get back to the show. What is going on, everyone? Super stoked on today's guest, as I've been close friends with this individual since my college days. He's such a talented musician and badass trail runner who was even a part of my breakdancing crew back in the day. And with all that being said, welcome to the podcast, Devin Kelts. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to see you. Yeah, this is a really dope moment to have you on the show because you're one of the many friendships from college that I'm truly grateful for. We've had a ton of epic times together from performing on different stages battling in the underground hip-hop dance scene, going to music festivals, you know, to even like long conversations about our highs and lows in life. And another cool thing is you always put me on to really good indie music. And at different parts of my life too, you felt like a mentor of sorts for me. And I always really appreciated that about you, Devin. Wait, man, you know, the same can go right back at you. Like you have uh, been that friend that has brought me into so many different new and exciting experiences. And, um, you know, all the time that we spent together in college, dancing, and the conversations that we've had since, it's been really beautiful to watch your journey and your progress. And I'm really excited to be part of this podcast as I'm watching it gain momentum and seeing you make a difference in the community. 
Yeah, you've seen me at the beginning of some really awesome like journeys and transformation, whether that be from like b-boy status and like being on campus at LMU to like being this more outdoor centric person and then also being a talent manager back in the day for like a dance group. It's you've been through a lot of uh really important moments in my life and I think that's so cool that we can share those kind of stories and experiences with with each other still. Yeah, it's crazy, man. You've done a lot of really cool things with your life and you've had a lot of unconventional experiences that um have always inspired me to keep hustling, you know, and and that's mm. definitely why I, you know, I appreciate you know, having you uh, as a friend and and watching your progress because, you know, when I see you do this, it inspires me to step my game up and what I'm doing too, you know? Dude, that's what it's about. Surrounding yourself with people that inspire, motivate, and elevate you. That's like one of the slogans of the podcast that I always say in the very beginning. Yeah. Well, it's a wonderful thing, right? What a great thing. There's, there's no harm that can be done in trying to lift others around you by uh, leading, you know, by example. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't you let the Just Trek listeners know uh, where you're originally from and where you're currently at right now? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. I am from... <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why I love you. Your, your, your humor, like a big thing I think a lot of the listeners are going to enjoy is like, you just have this certain humor about you. I think that's why we were friends for such a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I received that. I, um, so I'm originally from San Diego. I went to college at LMU and I lived in San Francisco for about the last 10 years. And then during COVID, I moved back home, hit the reset button, and I've recently started a new business. And it's just been a lot of change in a short period of time. Damn, you've been in San Francisco or NorCal for 10 plus years, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So is it NorCal or SoCal? Uh, I got to say, it's it's going to be SoCal. Um, NorCal, wow. yeah, San Francisco is over. To anyone who's listening, it is not the same city it was when I moved in 2010. Um, and I think COVID dealt a major death blow to what you know the city's sort of youth culture is. It's not, it's not the same anymore. Very interesting. So what was kind of that catalyst that brought you from to move from San Francisco back to San Diego, just it was COVID for the main part? A uh, big part was COVID. The other thing is my mom got sick and I wanted to come home and be there for her and take her to treatment uh, at a radiation uh, clinic. So that was the catalyst. And uh, it just so happened that when I was down here, the COVID restrictions were extremely intense in San Francisco city proper. Cause I was living in the Soma, which is South of market to listeners that don't mm -hmm. know, which is essentially downtown San Francisco. And that area was pretty much oppressive. It was just, you know, you go outside and it would just be a lot of people in active addiction or alcoholism and nothing else. And then you're just in your apartment all the time. It's not exactly the most exciting way of life. And then when I came down to San Diego, San Diego, I immediately saw, I was like, oh, people are outside, you know, people are distancing and everything, but it was, you know, people are ex experiencing nature. They're experiencing trails. They're, they're going to the beach. Uh, it's just, it was just a different vibe. Yes. The, the contrast of like San Francisco and San Diego is so stark. I feel, <laughs> you know, the weather's drastically different. So that affects it a lot. And then just like, yeah, like San Francisco is like the tech capital of the world. So it has a, it, 
that causes a certain kind of like lifestyle and culture up there that's like way different than sunny San Diego and the weather and the nice warm beaches and all that. You're absolutely right. I think one of the biggest differences to people that are from Southern California is that Northern California culture is, is a major shock. And it's the type of city where people wear their achievements on their sleeves. And it's not to say that people in LA don't do that, right? I think LA has a lot of like, who do you know? And what's your hustle in terms of entertainment or brand of me, right? I've got a podcast, you know, you've got a podcast, what are you doing to get your name out there? In San Francisco, it's like, Oh, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm this person at this name brand company. I'm person number 10 at this startup or employee number, you know, 10,000 at Google. I do this. I went to this name brand school. That's how people judge each other. People use their brains in terms of, you know, academic achievement as a measuring mm. stick. Whereas in Southern California, it's more about, hey, what's your social capital? What's your network? What are some outdoor activities that you do or you know, there's different, it's just different hustles, right? That's very interesting. And I always remembered how you described how people uh, judged you in San Francisco. I actually had a few moments like that where you were trying to explain to me that in San Francisco or a place like San Jose, when you meet someone, what really mattered to them was like, where do you work at? Or you work at Apple, you work at Lyft, Uber, or a big tech company. And that was like a big part of people's identities there. It wasn't like, oh, you're like this awesome, cool person that likes good music and is into art and fashion. It was more like, like what big name brand company or tech company do you work at? And that was like how you were evaluated in a sense. That's exactly right. There's a huge obsession with career. It's like, you know, you're automatically, at least initially on first impressions, Sure. People people don't care so much in LA. It's like, hey, you went to Harvard or you went to uh, you know, Cal State Long Beach. Not that those are, you know, I'm not trying to put down either one of those schools or lift one up, but the point mm -hmm. is traditionally speaking, people are gonna see Harvard as, you know, that's a big deal. And Harvard looks good anywhere, but in San Francisco, that's like king. If you went to that, you know, they called it that little school in Boston, people would rub that in your face. Or if you went to MIT, you were the mover and shaker of a company you were the person that had that uh you know top of the top of mm -hmm. the dog you know the, the uh, hierarchy so to say whereas in la it's more about hey what's your hustle you know who do you know what what sort of connections do you have what sort of uh you know what kind of lifestyle can you build whereas yeah. san francisco san francisco worships people work people live to work in san francisco and that's not necessarily a bad thing but there is a huge culture that's that's career obsessed. People live at work. Uh, you know, the the offices there pave the way for the rest of the country in terms of having that integrated lifestyle of like, hey, we're going to feed you. We're going to massage you. We're going to take care of all your needs. And we're going to keep you working all the time. So people people's identities just get enmeshed in their workplace. And it, it's it gets a little strange after a while. Yeah, totally. I, everything is at the uh, at our fingertips now, on, like on demand, on delivery. And most of those companies, all their headquarters are San Francisco or or San Jose, like Menlo Park, right? Like I used to work for a travel tech company, travel startup, and it's crazy to just even reminisce about San Francisco because now I'm getting all these memories of like really fun adventures and flashbacks. And one thing I always remembered about when I would visit you is you'd always bring me to, to Dolores Park. But I always had so much fun there because it was like 
there were so many crazy people there and like awesome people watching. And sometimes there would be like house music in the park. And it just had a lot of character and edge. It kind of reminded me of like Venice Beach. Venice Beach was like one big park in a sense. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, that's what made San Francisco so appealing is when you're in your 20s, it's a very kinetic environment. There's a lot of people that are motivated. And even if you don't care about the things they're motivated about, they are passionate and people work really hard. And the baseline to succeed in San Francisco is so high in comparison to the rest of the country, with the exception of maybe New York or Chicago, and of mm-hmm. course, parts of LA. But the idea is it's an alpha city, right? So people need to gr- be under the expectation that you grind all the time. And there is, there is a lot of pride in that. And there's also the idea that everyone is trying to make themselves look like they're okay, but really underneath the surface, they're probably struggling or they're intimidated because it is really a type of success that is in your face all the time. And it's a lot. I feel like we're having a NorCal versus SoCal podcast episode specifically. Yeah, it's going that direction, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Devin, there's a bunch of topics and different stories that I want you to share with us. Uh, But before we get into all that, I do want to mention how we first met because I remember it so vividly. And I want the listeners to know like how far we really go back and this bond that we've built, you know? And I'll never forget, it was my freshman year at college, and it was, I believe it was my second semester, so this was 2005. And I had just started on campus, my, my own hip-hop breakdancing club called B-Boy Status, right? And I had made these terribly designed flyers promoting the club, and I taped one of the flyers to my dorm door, And I believe it was like a weekday sometime in the afternoon, maybe around like two or three. And I was just trying to do some homework or catch up on something. And I always remember I got a random knock on my dorm door. And I was like, who the hell is knocking right now? Like, I don't I wasn't expecting anyone or whatever. And I remember looking through the peephole and there was this random dude, you, and I didn't even recognize you at all because I don't think I've ever had seen you at campus at that time yet. And I was just so shocked. Like, who's this person at the front of the door? Like, a, okay, I'm just going to open it and see what happens. And that was just a good example of how when you start something from passion and you start putting yourself out there, you know, that p- certain people will come into your life because when you knocked on the door and I opened it, you're like, yo. Hey, I'm Devin. Um, I saw this flyer. Like, you breakdance? Like, I breakdance also. I'm from San Diego. And then we just struck up conversation. And that's like the beginning of our friendship. And I'll never forget that moment because it was just so you put yourself out there. And then I put myself out there in a sense, too, because I just started posting these flyers all over campus, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll never forget that. I remember knocking on your door and you were living in Rosecrans, right? Um, Waylon. Waylon, yeah, I always get the two mixed up because I didn't live in the freshman dorms. I lived in the sophomore dorms. Bro, Rosecrans is an all-female dorm. (laughs) Oh, see, see, that's what I mean. I lived in the overflow, overflow, so they put me in the sophomore dorms. But anyways, I remember walking over there and I wanted to get into some activities and I was just all over the map. But yeah, I saw that and I did a little bit of dancing in high school and I had a friend of mine who was really good and I was like, dude, I got to knock on this door. And then I remember I was just like, all right, let's let me let me let me go to a let me go to a, a meeting or a practice. Let's do uh-huh. it. 
Yeah, that was... And ever since that moment, just think of all the adventures we've had from that beginning interaction. You were like one of the main members of the B-Boy Status Club. You were like definitely someone that was a pivotal part of recruiting more members and just being a dope and supportive friend, you know, and just an advocate for like what we stood for. And you actually knew some dancers out here in Southern California. I hadn't really built up those kind of friendships yet or network. And that was just like, wow, you know, like when you put yourself out there, like the the universe will give certain people to you. And then you just got to run with those friendships and see where it leads you. You know, I, I totally agree with that, man. I think that your vibe is your tribe and, and, what you know what you're talking about there is it's so funny because i haven't thought about it like you know directly like this in quite some mm-hmm. time and uh, it's true it's like that was such an amazing i was so i was just so hungry to get into something that was passionate and i just you know who knows what forces of the universe guide people and and, and push people together but it's one of those things where it's like you know i met you and then we had this amazing experience of pushing each other in this amazing amazing subculture that has yes. so much, so many dynamic, uh, passionate individuals, so many characters, you know, and of course I, I'm one of them. Right. And, and you're one of them. And it's like, but that's what makes it so cool. It's just, it's like breaking and, and hip hop and everything that surrounds it is full of, of individual expression. And it's, it was like an adventure into this really special subculture in LA. And we were in it before it, it, it sort of became, it's like we were catching it on the come up again, which yeah. was really cool. You know, it's incredible. I see so much parallels of how I first got into breaking or breakdancing and now how I'm like immersing myself in the SoCal outdoor community, you know, or hiking scene. It's like I, I can draw so many parallels of like how I uh, got involved, you know, like meeting all these people from different dance crews the founders of dance crews or meeting other people that threw events or just meeting other passionate dancers. And I'm, I'm finding myself doing the same thing like so many years later, like a decade later now in the outdoor hiking community. I get to meet so many passionate individuals who care about nature and the outdoors. I'm interviewing the founders of different hiking groups and also just interesting individuals who have this strong affinity for mother nature. And it's it's just been a really interesting like drawing like looking at both of the communities, I'm like, oh, they kind of remind me of each other in a, in a really cool way. Yeah, I think that's a, a great observation. I've heard this before, that when you see the way in one thing, you see the way in everything. That's what came mm. to my mind. And I think it's the same thing, right? I don't think it's any different. It's like the skill set that you developed when you were in, uh, you know, building up what you did with like breakdancing with like, you know, starting a club and then throwing school wide jams and then getting the community involved and then, you know, watching that growth process go through several tipping points of more and more. It's, you know, this is, this is what you're built for, right? This is your bread and butter. And I think like the universe puts us in the places that we need to be, whether or not we're aware of it and, you know, things just come together. Right. So I'm not surprised when you told me that you were doing this and you were getting involved in the outdoor community, I was like, oh yeah, dude, it's a wrap. You're going to fit, you're going to, this is like breathing for you, you know? I always tell people, trekking is my new breaking. And they're like, really? And then I kind of get into the story of how I used to be a B-boy. Or I still am, but I'm not active how, you know, we used to be like battling, performing, organizing. So yeah, trekking is my new breaking, but I'm now bringing breaking 
back into my life. So it's been this really cool full circle experience. Uh, and I know that's something that you probably are like, wow, like he's bringing, he's putting it all together again. So. Yeah, totally. And I think that's the whole point is like, you know, like I just started a, a coaching, coaching business and I'm coaching like a handful of guys and I, I, I coach specifically men on, you know, purpose and, and dating stuff too. But the point I'm making is that like, I always ask guys, I say, Hey, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what you're doing right now with your life, whether it's career or some new venture, how emotionally compelling is it on a scale of one to 10? And if they tell me five, I go, well, what's the thing that you haven't started or might've started, or maybe you put down and you did some time ago, that's a 10 out of 10. And that's Mm. really important. Finding that thing that's the 10 out of 10, that's what's going to cause you to overcome the obstacles. That's what's going to cause you to do it when you don't feel like it. That's what's going to cause you to really put out an energy that's going to attract you, right? You're the one who put up the sign for B-boy status, and I showed up because I was looking for something else that was passion-oriented. And then from there, it grew, right? But it's because you wanted to do it. It wasn't like, oh, you know, some counselor in college told me I got to start a (laughs) club, and I don't really want to do it, you know? Yeah. Oh man, you just said, I can't wait to get uh, into your new coaching endeavor further into the podcast. Like you just said so many uh, powerful things right now that I know the listeners are just going to get a lot of value from. So I can't wait to talk about that in a bit. Thank you. Um, But yo, let's get right into it. Sure. And there's so many things I want to talk to you about. And I definitely want to acknowledge on here that LA County has gone back to having masks mandated for the indoors just after we opened officially on July 4th. And it was because of another surge of COVID-19 in the city or in the county and due to the Delta variant. And, you know, it was just trippy because it was just like another big gut check that the COVID-19 pandemic is still here. And it's crazy to think that we've been in this for close to a year and a half now, I would say. So what I want to know from you, Devin, is how have you been adjusting to life during the COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, that's a great question. And, um, you know, for anyone who's going through a tough time during this time, you know, hang in there because everyone I've talked to has had a rat, you know, just had a very intense experience. Some people it's been really good. Um, you know, for my brother, for example, the company he's working at, it's never made more money for me. On the other hand, COVID-19 was, uh, a massive, massive amount of change. And I have finally adjusted, but initially um, huh, here's what happened. I was, I had, my band was playing shows in San Francisco in the Bay area. We had a bunch of shows scheduled. We had an album we were about to release. Very exciting stuff happening. Um, we actually played the last official live show in San Francisco before the shutdown. And that no was, way. On, yeah, that was at, um, neck of the woods in the upstairs room, which is this fun little venue in the Richmond neighborhood. And that was March 13th of 2020. Anyways, the point I'm getting at is, okay, music, we knew across the board that's shut down, right? No Coachella, that means no music industry. That's it. Because every every performing musician, you know, they want to put their hat in the ring for Coachella because that's the big leagues, right? Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. that or some other, when you see all the major music festivals get shut down, it's, it's game over. So, okay, music. That's gone. My identity is like, what's going on? The jo- I was about to start a new job. 
that I got furloughed from that, just like most people. And then I also decided to get sober at that time. So mm. it was a massive amount of change all at once. It was pretty much the essence of a crisis, which was like, all right, the person that you were is now going to, you know, is now going to go through a lot of change and you're going to become someone different. So having continued to work and apply the things that have always brought me to success, I've gotten to a point where it's like, yes, I've, I've kept my sobriety and that's a you know, different conversation. Uh, I've built new friendships and relationships. I've moved cities and I started a new business, which is, start, which is building momentum and generating income. And so for me, COVID has been really just about going back to basics and continuing to do the things that you need to do when you don't feel like them. And I know that sounds really simple and crude, but it's so effective it's very easy to, and I found it at times to rest on your laurels during COVID because people were like, well, you know, I'm locked in. I can't do anything. I'll just play video games. And it's like, you know, what happened to me is like that first month, me, a guy who runs usually six, seven times a week, I gained 29 pounds. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. Oh, wow. oh yeah. And I think everybody collectively was just kind of like for a while was like, well, this is cool. I can just stay at home and you know, binge on Netflix, but it's like after a while that gets depressing. And you saw, or at least I saw a lot of people lose their identity because if you were in an industry, if you were in a passion based thing, like acting or music, it was timed. It was basically like, yo, there's nothing going on. And, and I tried the like, Hey, let's stream this. And it's like, no, 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 dude, this is not, this is not the same thing. You know, this is, this mm. is ridiculous. And I, I, I'm not trying to say that people that got into trying to adapt wasn't a bad thing. But for me, it's just I lost all desire to, uh, you know, push push things together with the group and try to finish that album. It just it just got very complicated so quickly. So COVID for me was a massive amount of change in adaptation. And so here I am now and I feel like things in my life have, are, have stabilized significantly, but it's taken a tremendous amount of work and reorientation. And so during the quarantine, was there anything in particular that you turned to for like a sense of comfort or normalcy? Um, it sounds like you did a lot of like maybe like stress eating, but besides besides that kind of comfort, was there anything in particular like going back to an old hobby, developing a new one, or maybe going back to something as simple as like a family recipe? I know you mentioned within your answer that you went just back to the basics and that really kind of uh, struck us, uh, stood out to me right now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think that what I did, of course, I did a lot of running because I've always been a runner, you know, you know, I'm a trail runner and all that. And that, you know, staying physically fit, even though I gained all that weight initially, <laughs> uh, became something that I held on to. And the other thing was that, okay, I can't play music with my band, right? I, you know, we were on our way to record, there's all this momentum, there's a lot of like mm -hmm. joy in the air. It's like, all right, we, we're making this album happen, we got these shows. That's a big deal when you're in when you're in music, because it takes a lot to make that momentum happen. And so all of that momentum got sucked out of the room. And basically, I decided that I'd always wanted to get good at music production, but didn't have the time. And so here I am, I'm furloughed from the job, and I can't do anything with the band. And uh, so I just poured all my energy aside from, um, you know, running and other activities into 
learning how to use logic. And so I was like, well, I know how to arrange music. I've, I've written, you know, several albums and released them. I've gone through that process of working with the producer, working with uh, an audio engineer, working with another songwriter back and forth. And I was like, well, you know what would be great is I'll just arrange stuff on my own. I won't have to deal with people and I'll, and I, I will become good at being a laptop musician. And so what I did is I just, I just jumped right in and I just kept writing stuff every day. I would write, you know, a 30 minute to a one minute or two minute composition. And just, mm. I kept pumping it out because I believe in, you know, uh, the best way to become good at something is first you have to be the fool. You have to suck at it. You have to have humility. And too, and too many people don't understand this. And I know this well from music because I know what it's like to suck, have a band that really sucks, to having a band where people say, hey, you know what? You guys sound great. You know, I know what that process feels like. And there's no way of getting around looking like an idiot or fumbling the football. So I was like, all right, well, let me just get good at logic. I'll pump out stuff that's going to be crap for a while. And eventually I'll get good at it. So yeah, I guess I went back to basics in terms of that discipline with music, but channeling it into a new skill set, right? I remember uh, you were posting on your Instagram feed a bunch of the the new music you were producing, and I was like, ah, I see where his energy is going towards now because you know I could only imagine that massive shift from going from shows and being with the band and managing all that. <laughs> and you're like, I need to, I still need to be in my music craft. So it makes a lot of sense why you got like back to the basics and producing just new music and like making new compositions. Yeah, totally. Right. It's a, uh, it's a calling. Most definitely. All right, dude. Well, let's get, di- let's dig deeper into your journey. Sure. Um, your outdoor journey specifically, cause you know, this is an outdoor inspired podcast. Uh, what I want to know is, and I think I'm going to learn a lot from this as well. Cause I don't think I've actually talked to you in depth about it, but how did you first get into running slash trail running And when did that journey really start for you? And after you get into all that, if you're able to identify whether it was a specific moment or maybe moments where you just began to realize that this running thing was going to become like a major part of who you are. Oh, yes. I'd be happy to talk about that. And um, it's funny. So my very first experience with trail running, I was probably 20 or 21 years old and I was in college. And one of my other good friends um, was an unbelievable distance runner. He was like CIF, you know, captain, all that kind of stuff. Or he went to CIF and he was the, the, the cross country captain. And I think he was going to run for LMU, but he didn't. And he and I spent a lot of time in the practice rooms together. He'd work on piano. I'd work on guitar. And I saw that I needed a physical outlet. And of course I'm also competitive. So he was like, well, why don't you run a marathon? And I was like, all right, that sounds good. I like having my ego stroked. So I decided to start training with him. And my very first trail run was, was, um, in the Santa Monica mountains. And it was about 18 or 19 miles. And it was like right off the bat, like we just ranked it out and we were training for the LA marathon. And so I did, you know, I wanted to show, you know, I could keep up with him. Of course I had no experience. And what happened was in that moment, I was like, wow, this is so amazing. This is so intense. And I discovered immediately this was like a meditative experience where mm. I could I could I could channel a lot of that stress and feel at peace. And so I I went for that big run and I quickly injured myself and had to see a doctor about a knee injury. But the point is is 
that was the spark for me was seeing somebody who I admired do something. And then I started doing it myself. And it was, it was the fact that running was trail running in particular was this intense way to experience nature and then also have an intense physical and spiritual experience at the same time. Wow. I did not know that it began in the Santa Monica mountains. Cause that's where my journey began in the Malibu Pacific Palisades area. See, there we go. Were, right. Were you a road runner before you tried doing trail running or what did that look like for you? Well, to be fair, I did some runs on the road, but it was so miserable running on the road that mm -hmm. when I was introduced to the trails, it was just such a cooler experience because it was just, you know, there was so much change in topography and landscape and, you know, animals and, you know, the weather. It was, it was like a way more immersive experience. It's like when I finished those longer runs, I would like sit there and I would be exhausted but full of joy and being like, wow, you know, I got to see so much land today. I got to see so much nature. I got to feel so much. Yes. Yeah. It's just so different when you're running through trails in the mountains and parks. It's because you're enjoying the views along the way, even though you are suffering a bit, you know, it's like it, it distracts from the strenuousness of the run. And yeah, the Santa Monica Mountains has so many great uh, trails for trail running. Because uh, a lot of people I feel like are more familiar with like Griffith Park is great for trail running. There's some places in the San Gabriels. But yeah, like the do you remember the name of the trail that you did? You know, it was almost 15 years ago. So no. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's a long time ago. But the idea is that um, it was there was a lot of elevation and movement and heat. And the thing is, when you're distance running, and I say this to all people who I tell them or recommend them to do distance running or trail running is like when you crack into double digit miles for the first time, when you run your first <laughs> 10 miles, it's it, it, crazy. It, it awakens something in you. You know, you feel like you're like, whoa, this is this is like that thing. This is like a new it's like a new sensation or a new level of, of uh, consciousness. Now I'm curious, uh, after you started getting more trail runs under your belt and you started doing these different races, um, like what would you say are your top three trail running or outdoor experiences that you've done? And like, why was each a favorite? Well, I'll tell you my first... The first uh, trail marathon, well, my first race ever was actually a trail marathon in Northern California. And the reason why it was such a, such a remarkable experience was one, of course, it was my first marathon. And anyone will tell you their first marathon is a, is a pretty big experience because you're running a distance you've never done before, right? So you're going through all this doubt and discomfort. And um, this race was a lot of fun because I think at the time I was, I might've been 21. It was maybe my senior year of college. And when I did it uh, with my friend, uh, who I'd mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, we finished the race. And I remember we were, this is going to sound so childish, but what was so fun and memorable about it is that, first of all, there was so much beautiful topography. There was so much like, it was like, it would go from like forest to beach to, you know, plains to, you know, rocky road. It was all of this shift because you're, you know, you're covering 26 miles, right? And, and you're climbing. So it's just every, every scene change sort of, it, it, it went with my physical change. So it was very memorable, but I remember at the time, because I was kind of a dickhead, I was, <laughs> I remember the, what I love to do, and this is so bad. This is how you can show how childish I was. 
but my friend and I were so proud of our, our, of completing the race that we just drove by very slowly. All of the people that were half marathoners that I thought were squares at the time. And we just smoked a pack of cigarettes in front of them, but we smoked a pack of cigarettes in front of them, knowing that we had the full marathon completion. So it was kind of like, there you go. You see that? And you know, I laugh about that now because like, what a ridiculous thing to do. But for some reason, that was such a fun memory because it was that first one and, and it was, it was breaking through that barrier and, and really seeing, oh my gosh, I did, I did it. I did a marathon. Do you remember the name of it? Uh, it's been a while, huh? It's been a while. I think it's, it might've been just been like a Stinson beach. Oh man, you know, I should know that I have the bib somewhere. <laughs> it's um, okay. We we can circ- if you do remember it, um definitely feel free to mention it, but would love to know your two other ones as well. Yeah, of course. So the next trail marathon that was a heroic experience for me was the first time I had run 50 miles, and that was the Dick wow. Call Oh yeah, uh thank you. The uh Dick Collins, which uh was a really really epic trail run in Northern California near Lake Chabot, which is in the East Bay, for those who are wondering. And it's a massive, massive race that we started at five in the morning. And then I ended it, I think the, I think I ran about 12 hours, 12 hours, 15 minutes continuously. And that was one of the most amazing experiences of my life because breaking through the marathon barrier is big. But then when you basically double the distance, what you go through is so much more intense and the types of people you meet on these runs are people that don't have a quitters mindset. It, if you're going to enter a 50 mile race, like you're not going to be the person that's like, you know, crying in their pillow every night. These are people that by, by default have to be tougher. And so if you feel like quitting, they're going to be like, Nope, you got to keep going. You got to push through it. And there are moments that you push through in that race that, they were so memorable for me. I remember like time basically stopping because I had so uh, much endorphins running through my blood that I remember just thinking, I was like, oh my God, I'm at mile 40 and I have to go 10 more miles and this is pure pain. And then the funny thing, you know, you go through so many experiences like that in a race where it's like, it's pure pain and then it's pure bliss and then it's pure pain and then it's pure bliss. And so I remember just running with that in that race and then towards the very end one of the most memorable moments was i i was running to the to the finish because i was so excited to be done and i was so proud it was such a big deal i was like oh my god you know i passed that mile 49 mark and i was like dude i'm gonna hit 50 miles what an experience what an amazing feeling and i ran by this old man and i was like oh i i think i recognize that person and then someone from the race later told me that that was the guy who founded the Western States 100 endurance endurance run, which is the most famous ultra trail run on planet Earth, which starts in in uh, um, Auburn, California. I can't remember where it ends, but the point is, is it was like it was a very elite race, and it was extremely challenging. It was like 9,000 feet of elevation gain, 50 miles. It was really hot out. It was just an amazing experience. The Dick Collins Ultra Race. Mm-hmm. Dick Collins. Dude, just <laughs> like imagining someone running 
a marathon is already so mind blowing to me. And to double that is just absolutely insanity. Like Mark Feichel, our mutual friend, you know, I ran the last two miles of his, uh, one of his LA marathons. And I was like, dude, these people are just cut from a different cloth. So when you tell me stories about doing a 50 miler, I'm just like, how it's, it's so insane. How, how far you can push a body, especially when I look at you trail runners or ultra trail runners, it's like, it's like this pinnacle of like like performance that is just so like it seems unattainable but it but it is attainable and like you're living proof of that. Well, and the thing is I tell people this all the time. It's like, you know, I'm not and by no means do I have some fast time, right? For me it was just finishing because literally mm. when you get to those mileages, it's everyone's on your team to just finish because it's so much effort. And then, yeah. you know, you do have people that are fascinated and those people are just like the top, 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 like freaks of nature. They're unbelievable. But the point is, is I tell anyone, hey, give it a shot because you don't know what you're capable of. And too often people are like, oh, I don't think I can run a marathon. I go, sure you can. Oh, I don't think I could run a 50K. I go, sure you can. You can do it. You can complete it. And I promise you, when you complete it, you'll feel a new sense of confidence and, and, you're exactly right. It's a testament. Running is one of those amazing arenas where it's really simple. It's there's a linear relationship between effort and reward, right? So, you know, what you put in is what you get out. It's not like other things where some days it's good and some days it's bad. It's like running is like, do you want to keep going? It might be painful. You can do it. Your body's capable of it, provided you continue to fuel it properly, especially in ultra running. A big thing that happens is People don't finish because they stop eating. There's so many calories that you burn. In an average 50-mile race, you will burn in upwards of 10,000 calories. And if you are not replenishing those calories, you're gonna just your body's just going to give out. But if you feed yourself right and you hydrate yourself, you can complete the race. 10,000 calories. That is insane. <laughs> okay. What's a th what's a third trail trail running or outdoor experience you can give us one more? Um, I would say the last one, uh, the last big ultra that I that I did was back in 2017. In terms of one that I'm uh, really really proud of. Uh, okay, I wouldn't say it's the last one I've did. That's incorrect. But the point is uh, this third experience that you're asking about. There was the uh, Marin Ultra Challenge, and that is another 50-mile race, but it has uh, the most elevation gain on the West Coast, and it is considered one of the most difficult 50-mile races. It's around 10,600 or 11,200 of elevation gain. It's brutally difficult, and it's also extremely beautiful. And at the time, I was going through a breakup, so I had all this energy of like, you know, I'll show her and I channels that into accomplishment, right? Mm. And running is a, trail running is a great outlet for that is because if you're dealing with some difficult emotional thing, you can channel that energy. And I promise you, when you finish a race like that, no matter what you're worried about, you will not care about it anymore. You're just going to be too exhausted and, and too overjoyed to really, really care about that. So yeah, it was this, it's this big race. Um, and it was at sea level, so it's not like there was crazy uh, elevation, but the elevation gain, the, the aggregate, total. yeah, the total mm -hmm. of ups and downs when you added it all up, it was basically two miles of climbing in addition to 50 miles of actual distance. And 
that race was, I mean, I was watching people drop out next to me. Like people would like have uh, partners that they would run with, you know, the last 10 miles or whatever. And they would literally drop out on the track. And I, I would just run by people that were collapsing. And I was like, oh my God, can I finish this? This is crazy. Like, what did I get myself into? Am I a total idiot? You know? Mm-hmm. And um, I, finishing that was, was a heroic experience for sure. That, that, that was a medal that to this day, I'm still super, super, super proud to have. Dude, that's so great. I like how you mentioned about when you do something so physically and mentally exhausting, you can't worry about the everyday stresses in life or about a breakup or about whatever's bothering you. I think that's why a lot of us in the outdoor community, whether it's trail running, ultra trail running, backpacking, or doing these epic long strenuous day hikes it almost like it cleanses us because we exert so much energy and effort into what we're the task at hand that you can't think about anything else and in in that in that sense it's healing because we're not ruminating and having negative thoughts about whether it's a breakup you know something embarrassing that happened or just going through like mental illness or struggles you know yeah you're totally right i mean you gotta just take action to do, you got to do something about it, right? Because the easy, the easier thing to do is to sit around and think about it. And I knew that just like how we talked earlier about the back to basics, like COVID, it's like, well, now you've got an excuse to really sit around and do nothing. You're like, well, we're shut in. So I might as well just get fat and watch YouTube. And I'm not saying that I didn't do that. But the point is, mm-hmm. is I knew real quick how, how uh, seductive that is to just be like, all right, I'll just sit around and do this. And oh, my you know, identity's gone uh, with music for now, blah, 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 blah. What's the world going to be? Oh my God, this is happening. This lockdown, these people, you know, whatever. The point I'm getting at though, is that what's the solution? The solution is to get into action, right? And so trail running was just like that with me, where it's like, I was going through a, a difficult time and I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to go out and accomplish something. I need to do something heroic. I need to do something super difficult. And that mm-hmm. feeling when you do that thing that is impossible Oh my God, man. It's, it's, everyone should know what that feels like because there's a, there's, there's a deep fulfillment and satisfaction there that no one can take away from you. That fulfillment is so special because that's where we begin to like rebuild ourselves and realize that we're capable, that we are strong and that we do have like this unlimited potential and that we can go back out there into the world and, you know, achieve all these things that we want. Exactly. And, and running is a really simple template for you to overcome a self-limiting belief because it's real simple. It's like, hey, I've never run 50 miles before. Okay, enter the race and see what happens. Oh, I've never run 100 miles before, whatever distance that may be. If you're starting out and you've only run five miles, enter that half marathon. If you've done the half, do the full because every time you break through that barrier, you're acting your way into a new belief and you're letting go of an old one. And that's where that emotional rush comes from and that that'll work no matter what yeah it's tried and true tried and true to go back to uh your third experience you doing the marine headlands uh 50 mile you said yeah the marine ultra challenge is what it's called but yes so i haven't been there myself but i know that area the marine headlands it's like above san francisco right like it's a it's like a really gorgeous place where you can do tons of hikes and trail running, right? Because I've seen it on all trails before. And I have a friend that lives in NorCal and she's always like, oh yeah, I went to Marin Headlands. And I started like checking out like photos and reviews. And I was like, oh wow, this is a gorgeous area, but I still haven't 
been able to explore there or hike there yet? Um, I highly recommend it. I think you would love it. A lot of people spend time hiking in Marin, Muir Woods, Stinson Beach, Alamir mm. Falls. Those are locations where you get a ton of beauty and it's very accessible. And there's enough nature to where it doesn't feel like it's just some urban environment. Marin, Marin is a really, really nice place. I mean, it also costs a lot to live there too. So, <laughs> Yes, I recognize uh, the Alamir Falls, one of my podcast guests, uh, this guy named Ray Medeiros, uh, Ray Medeiros, the founder of California Hiking Group. He said one of his most special hikes was Alamir Falls. He said it felt like it was like a spiritual experience, like the waterfall was like cleansing his soul. And that it's a waterfall that goes onto the beach. And I was just so shocked that the, we that there was something like that. I don't think I've had that experience yet. You know, uh, I would highly suggest it. I've been to it one time, and I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. I, I totally co-signed what he said. All right, just trek trip to Alamir Falls, hosted by Devin. <laughs> oh wait, you live in San Diego. <laughs> That's right. But I'll still, t- I'll tag along. Yeah. All right, you'll be our local tour guide since you uh, had been living there for such a long time. Uh, thanks for sharing all those experiences. And it sounds like you've done a ton of races, whether it's ultra races and just adventuring around. And can you provide for the Just Trek listeners? Because we do have a handful of people on here who are just getting into trail running or are actual trail runners and ultra trail runners. Like, what are some of the tips and advice that you could give to them that greatly helped you out? So the one of the simplest pieces of advice is if you have a fear around entering a race, right? And, you know, you want to give yourself an honest evaluation. So let's say you're just starting out and you can run maybe three miles. The best thing you can do is enter a race. That's the best thing you can do. Because if you enter the race and it's scheduled, you are now committing yourself. You are now financially invested and emotionally invested in that outcome, which means you're going to take action. So it's very simple. I tell people all the time. I had a friend of mine ask me, he's like, yeah, you know, I really want to do this trail half marathon. I said, dude, dude, don't, don't talk to me about a training regimen yet. Enter the race first, and then we'll figure out a training regimen because it's, it's, it's going to require discipline. It's an effort of the will. So you need to, you need to have leverage on yourself. And if you are one of those people that's like, oh man, now that I've committed to it, I got to go. And if you have that mindset with running, you're going to, you're going to get that experience. So First things first, look at where you're at. Say, hey, I just ran a 10-mile race. Okay, then maybe you enter a trail marathon. I just ran five miles. Okay, maybe I enter a half marathon. If you've done a full marathon, do the 50K. Keep stepping up the distance, but enter the race. So sign up before you lose the inspiration and that fear comes into your mind of like, oh, I don't think I can do it because that's going to happen no matter what. The other thing is make sure when you are trail running, stop at aid stations and refuel constantly. So drink more water than you need and keep eating. Those those rules right there and also one more to walk the hills, jog the straights and run downhill. So walk the hills, jog the straights and run downhill. If you try to run the whole time, you will be out of a race in three miles. I promise you, unless you have you know, genes from God or something. <laughs> yeah, because my uh, perception of trail running and these marathons is that everyone's literally running the whole time. And then when I would see videos of people like refueling 
and taking a quick break at these aid stations, I was like, oh, okay, this makes more sense because the body needs to rest and refuel. It's not, it's going to, you're just going to collapse. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's like, don't try to go out there and try to get some record time, especially with these, with these massive distance jumps, just finish. You need to know what your body goes through because every race, it, it becomes exponentially more difficult. Like mm-hmm. a 50 mile race is not just two marathons. It's two marathons. And then some, because your body's more tired, you have more physical changes. Uh, it's longer amount of time. You go through the sun goes up, the sun goes down. It's, it's a lot of different things. So if you don't strategize properly and then go in with the expectation that it's going to be hard and to, to pull yourself back, if you want to go faster, slow it down, just finish the race. So if you, when you select a new distance, go in with the mindset of just finishing. Don't go with this idea that you're going to be, you know, Michael Johnson or something and break some record, you know? And for people, let's say hikers, you know, such as myself, I'm slowly getting into trail running. What do some tips and advice look like for people that are like on the edge or on the fence of like, okay, I've done all these big day hikes and backpacking and I have a lot of friends who do trail running or they see it and they're attracted to it. Like what do, what are some tips and advice for people that are aspiring to be, uh, to first get into trail running? Oh, uh, just pull up a website um, I think it's running in the USA and then there's a California subsection. You can just put it in Google, find a trail run that looks cool to you or a distance that like, you're like, Hey, I've been thinking about a half marathon or I'm thinking about a 10 K and just enter the race. Cause you need the firsthand experience and you can't get it without having the experience. So just picking a race and entering it and being like, dude, I don't know if I can do it. That's the one you pick, pick it and have the courage to not know what you're doing in it other than following a few simple rules, which is like I mentioned fueling. And of course, uh, walking the Hills, jogging the straights and running downhill. That's interesting because it's like, once you sign up and you're financially invested, you're going to have to figure out (laughs) everything you can to get your body optimized and prepped. Um, because I thought you were going to say like, you know, you know, just start out with two miles or three miles and four miles. You just said, just sign up first and then you'll figure it out and create that training regimen. Yeah, you will be out of necessity, you know, because you're going to be so, you're going to, you're going to be so anxious about it. You're like, well, uh, I just signed up for this trail marathon and I haven't done a race that's, or I haven't done a distance that's beyond eight miles. I better run like a 14 miler or a 16 miler. I got, I got to get that under the belt and you will research that automatically because you know, you have a race coming up. Whereas if you just put it off, you're like, ah, I'll just get to it later. I don't want to run. I'm tired. It's Sunday. Oh no, it's, it's Saturday or it's Friday. I worked all day. There's always going to be a reason why not to do it. But if you know that race is coming up and it's in the calendar and you tell your friends about it, now you know you really got to do it because you don't want to look like the idiot who's like, well, yeah, I just sort of backed out of it because you're not going to feel good about that either. Yeah, having something that you're committed to and are looking forward to to train for is it's very crucial to having, you know, setting up that training regimen, you're right, and holding totally. yourself accountable. Totally. Um, I want to speak about a certain race where you had quite the intense experience. And what I'm referring to is, your Bishop 100K. So for this race in particular, can you describe it for the people who are not familiar with this race, uh, share a high and low point from it, 
And you know, what was like the key learning and lessons that you learned from this one? Because I know this one in particular was quite the journey for you. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about it. So the Bishop 100K is in Bishop, California. And if you live in LA, you should check out Bishop, California because it is absolutely gorgeous. It has amazing, yes. amazing trails and hot springs. It's just, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous small town. That being said, the Bishop 100K, I was looking to go to the next distance up. So as I mentioned, I've done some 50-mile races, and 100K is 61 miles. And I didn't necessarily put two and two together, but uh, it's a 61-mile race, and it's at elevation, meaning that it starts at 4,500 feet, and in the middle of the race, it goes to about 10,000 feet, and then it stays on average about 8,500 feet above sea level. Well, wow. uh, the two mistakes I made was, one, if you're going to run a race of a new distance, you should probably do it at the same elevation that you've been training. Uh, two, when you run a race at elevation, it is way more difficult. And so that was the difficult learning experience for me as I entered this race and I was like, okay, I've done some training. I feel good. It's kind of cocky. I was like, you know, looking at my 50 mile times and I was like, okay, the cutoff is 18 hours. I, I've done some 12 hour, 50 milers. I, I, I can complete this. Right. Mm. But when I was looking at the, I remember the night before the race, I was looking at the qualifying charts of people that had finished and some of the best ultra runners in the world had times that were far longer than their usual times for that distance. And I was like, "Uh Oh, this is probably a lot harder than I think. And so, you know, I got in my head and I entered the race and I was like, okay, I'm going to hope for the best. And we start out running and immediately my heart is pounding. Like the elevation change, I'm feeling less oxygen going inside my body. And so I'm like, "Uh Oh, this is crazy. So like the sun is out and there's less oxygen in the air and I have to run the furthest I've ever, ever run in my life. So, you know, those three things are like, that's not the best place to start, but I'm like, you know, okay, I've been there before. I know what this feels like. So I start the process and I am at the back of the pack, but on purpose, following the advice that I'm giving your listeners about, you know, just finish. And I'm running the race so slow that I'm barely making it past the cutoff times for aid stations. So a lot of these races will have cutoff times. If you don't make it to this point at a certain, you know, amount of hours since you started the race, you're, you're not going to finish. You get a DNF or do not finish. And basically, I'm starting to climb up an elevation and my i'm starting to worry about my body because i'm like oh my god elevation is no joke and we're getting to six thousand feet eight thousand feet and now i'm at the peak of it's around 30 miles ten thousand feet above sea level i'm running in a snowpack like in a it, what looks like a snow field i can't even see the whole time i'm like hallucinating because what also happens in uh elevation races is that and i didn't know this firsthand but you develop, you know, some degree of mountain sickness. It's not necessarily super acute, but the idea is like it starts messing with your vision and your perception, your senses. And so I'm running and every time I look in the bushes, I'm like, oh, there's got to be a mountain lion. Oh, there's got to be a mountain lion. Oh, there's got to be some animal. So I'm like, dude, this is terrifying because trail races are very loose. There's, it's not like, you know, LA marathon where you have a bunch of people who are like shoving EDM and music in their things and they got the hottest gear and they're like, don't talk to me. And it's like, (laughs) you know, some of that road race stuff and I've done enough road races, like it's cool and all, but 
it's not, it's not as communal or spiritual as trail running, which attracts me to it. That being said, there's no, there's no one who's going to come like save you. So you're like up in this like snowpack. you've run 30 miles. It's 10,000 feet up. You're like, Oh my God, what's going on with my body. And at this point, like I'm not, I'm feeling it. And so I get through this, you know, I get to the peak where it's like the turnaround point for the next 30 miles. And I'm like, okay. And I'm barely making it past the cutouts. And then like, all of a sudden I get a couple miles further and my body just like totally, totally shuts down. And I was like, I think I'm going to have a stroke or I'm going to die or something. And so I just decided to pull myself out of the race. Like legs were out. My like chest was out. My head was spinning. And I'm like, I'm about to black out. And like my, my hand my head is pounding. And so I just basically just decided to wave the white flag on this one and just surrender to mother nature and be like, okay, this was, I just got humbled hardcore by that race. And so I just jumped in the back of the truck and then I just went back and that was that. So I got about halfway through and, um, then that was it. Just the wall that hits you with elevation, uh, is, is like nothing else. Elevation does not discriminate. The altitude sickness does not discriminate no matter how, fit you are or the different things you do to try to prevent it or tackle it, it, it can affect us on any given day. You're exactly right. And that's what was a nice experience for me. And so for listeners who are going to pick a race and they're training at sea level, what was suggested to me is, hey, get to that that location that's at elevation and train for a week prior, right? What I should exactly. have done is taken a week and a half off, gone to Bishop and then run around the course to get mm-hmm. my my blood acclimated to the new elevation. Yeah, exactly. The acclim- the acclimation is so crucial because I remember that was a big part of my training and journey when I did Mount Whitney, which is in that like general area, you know, like Eastern Sierras, uh, Central California. And yeah, the body has to be uh, acclimated for a couple of days at least or else it's going to get hit really hard unless you're like taking Dymox or... I don't know whatever like me- um like medication or prescription you can take for to help prevent that. Yeah, it's uh it's formidable for sure and it gives you a whole never another level of respect for people that are, you know, thorough thorough mountaineers and also ultra runners that like crush those races. They're j- they're just they're just on a whole another level. Like there's just people out there and you meet them in in some of these races where you're like how are you capable of this, you know, aerobic output like they're just they're just there's just some people like that and that's when you realize very quickly it's almost like trying to play basketball and you're not like six foot ten or something you know you're like okay (laughs) all right (laughs) man what an intense story i'm glad that you're ultimately okay but man just that feeling right before you're like i'm gonna i'm probably gonna black out and you were just feeling like you're feeling all the symptoms of uh high elevation and altitude sickness to the point that you were going to like, like might be hospitalized. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's another thing to think about is elevation races bring that in because at, 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 uh, at sea level, I suggest to anyone, Hey, push through the pain. You'll be fine. But when it starts mm. going to your head and it's like, you're short of breath and there's some warning signs there that, you know, sure. your body's telling you to listen to. And, I did not want to list. Like I fought that off for a while. Cause I was like, dude, I want to finish the race, my ego pride, whatever. 
you know, I committed to this thing. I told a bunch of people about it. All the things I'm telling your listeners to do when they enter a race, I did all that. So you can understand I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, I'm not going to back down from this. But yeah. finally it just got to the point where it was like, okay, I got to be practical here. Yeah. It's like that concept of, uh, not having summit fever. Is there like a term in like the trail running community that's like synonymous with summit fever or is it kind of a, the same thing? Oh, I think people just call it, at least what I've said or heard is uh, elevation sickness or acute mountain sickness. Uh, oh, I meant just summit sure- fever, like the obsession of getting to the top and ignoring all this, the body signs and like symptoms that you may be feeling. That's what I was referring oh, oh, to. Yeah. Yeah. Of that, course. that obsession of getting to the top, no matter what, even if it's dangerous to your well-being. that's what I'm yeah. getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that's the essence of ultra running is like, you know, mm. ignoring pain is a big part of that because when you, when you push your body to a new distance, it's like, this is the first time you've ever done this. So you're going through, you know, literal growing pains mentally, physically, spiritually, you're going to crazy places in your head and your body. Mm. You're like, I want to, you want to, you want to give up, you know, it's like, there's almost like this, you know, voice in the bushes. It's like, just stop. You'll be fine. You know, you'll be good. Just, you don't have to tell yeah. anybody. And it's like, you're like, nope, I can't do that. And what happens in ultra running is that like, you'll go through periods in a race where that voice is very loud and then you'll push through and you'll get like a second win and then it'll happen again. And then you'll get a third win and a fourth win. And it keeps going and going and going. Mm. In that particular race, I hit my actual limit and that was a big consequence of elevation. And I also didn't train very well for it either, to be totally honest. Well, I'm glad you knew when to pull yourself out. I'm sure that wall was a very, <laughs> you you knew that you hit it rather hard. So, cause I know you're very, you know, get things done and push through the pain and embrace the grind and suck. So I knew if you hit your wall, you really hit your wall. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was like, uh, I was like, my body was like at its limit. Like, and that was cool to experience. Like it's, there is also a satisfaction in knowing that you hit your absolute limit. Because I'll tell you when I, you know, finish those two other 50 mile races I mentioned, I was able to run. And afterwards, after both those races, I partied like crazy. Like I drank and went out and, you know, I had a ball. Like I was like, yeah, I'm on top of the world. I did this race, but that race, no way, dude. I was like, down. Nope. yeah, no way. There's another race. Um, you didn't do it, but you brought it to my attention because I believe this was two years ago. And I told you I was doing Mount Whitney in mid July. And you were like, Hey, have you heard of the bad water basin race? And I was like, no, what is that? And I was so glad that you brought it to my attention because while I was up there at Mount Whitney, um, I actually got to meet some, I actually got to see the finish line. I got to see people from different countries finishing that race. And I actually got to meet one of the finishers on a certain part of the Mount Whitney main trail. And can you just let the just Trek listeners know, like, what exactly is the bad water rate, uh, the bad water basin race and why it's so notorious? Uh, I would argue it's probably one of the most amazing uh, athletic accomplishments on planet Earth. If you're a runner, uh, it is a notoriously, notoriously difficult ultra run. It's 132 miles and it starts in Death Valley and the average temperature <laughs> is 110 degrees. It is unbelievably difficult and you climb about 32,000 feet. So you run 132 miles, you climb 32,000 feet in total elevation gain, and the temperature is about 110 to 116 degrees on average. Yeah, you start from the hottest point in the U.S. to 
the highest from the you start from the lowest point in the U.S. to like one of the highest points in the U.S. in the Mount Whitney portal, which is the finish line. And I'll never forget you told me that there's people when they do this race when they're running through Death Valley, they're pouring water over their head, and I didn't believe you, so I actually went on YouTube and I saw that there's uh there's people literally that are running like the volunteers, I guess, right? They're running with some of these trail runners or ultra trail runners and they're carrying jugs of water and they're literally pouring it over their head at certain like landmarks or certain points. And I just could not believe that people would even put themselves through something of this level. Oh, no, it gets deeper than that. You have to have a dedicated crew of six or seven people to run the race. And mm. usually people are pulling over. Um, man, I can't like why well, I can't remember his name, but one of the uh, greatest ultra runners of all time. He. Uh, you usually people are taking ice baths because your body is overheating. Wow. So they will pull you over and you could be like 40 miles in 50 miles in. And like, you will have to take an ice bath for like 10 minutes. Otherwise, like you're going to overheat. Like it's, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Like a lot of the, a lot of ways that runners will train for this aside from elevation training is they will go on a treadmill or go for a long distance run with a trash bag on for like, you know, 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles, because they need to simulate the heat. It's the heat that's a killer, okay? Elevation is a killer, and heat is a killer. And you put the two things together, and that is a whole nother level of difficulty. Because I promise you, you will be tapping out in a race when you overheat, and you will be tapping out in a race when you have that challenge of elevation. And you put two of those things together, and it's a whole nother, a whole nother level. One of the visuals that really struck me was I had accomplished Mount Whitney as a day hike, you know, when I went up there and I, was, I felt so badass about it. And then I'm there at the Whitney portal and I'm seeing the runners crossing the finish line. But this finish line is not your typical, like what you think of a crowd of people cheering you on. There was like literally no one there. Like, there was a few people there watching and congratulating them, but it's not like what you think I at the end of a race, there's not this big party or like celebration. It's like they did this for themselves. And I noticed a lot of these people were like, some of them were like sponsored by the government or something like that. And there's like actual, there's several prerequisites to even, uh, to even enter this kind of race. Right, Devin? Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of these races, like you need to qualify. Uh, I mean, it's a big deal, right? Like they're going to vet the candidates that come into this. And mm -hmm. you are, you are totally on point in terms of, of, you know, who, who is going to make the cut or not. Like it's, it's, you should be vetted before you do these races. Okay. This isn't like, you know, sometimes you see people in the LA marathon and you're at mile one and I'm just using this as an example because everyone can enter the LA marathon. You sign a waiver, but like you see people who are like wearing like baggy clothes and sandals and you're like, <laughs> Hey man, this is not a good idea. And like, then they drop out or like one year there was like, there was like a guy who was really overweight and he was like, I'm going to just run a marathon. And it's like, no, 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 dude, you probably shouldn't. And he ended up having a heart attack. You know, it's like, wow, you got to know you're, you got to like be, you can push your limits, but you can't push your limits so far that it's like, you know, what are you doing? You can't take a guy who's super overweight, he's a hundred pounds heavy and is a smoker and then be like, Hey, go ahead and run the LA marathon. It's like, okay. <laughs> you know so to answer your question yeah they you usually have to qualify for a series and, and completions of a series of well-known races to be allowed 
to be seeded into the lottery for that race. That's how the Western mm. States operates. It's a hundred mile race. It's very famous. So that race, you have to finish um, within a certain time, several hundred mile races that seed seed into the lottery. So your name can be drawn out as a potential participant for that hundred mile race. That's so crazy. The yeah. vetting system for this. It's, it's pretty cool, man. It's, that's what I'm saying. You meet amazing people on these runs because it's like, nobody's lazy, you know? Yeah, this is like, I always tell people like, trail runners cut from a different cloth. But when I heard about this Badwater Basin race, I was like, okay, this is like the upper echelon of people who are cut from a different cloth. And there's a reason why this race is like considered the world's toughest race. I think that's one of its like, that's what it's like known for, right? As like one of the taglines of the race. Oh yeah. It's, it's, uh, like even just thinking about it makes me sick. Like it's so difficult, <laughs> you know, real talk, real talk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I I, that's what that. I mean. That's why I think it's the gnarliest athletic accomplishment. It's like, yeah, no, no, I don't think you understand like 132 miles in 110 degree <laughs> weather and then elevation. It's like, it, it's, it's a, a absurdly difficult race and very few people finish. It's like, why? Why would you want to do something like this? But then I know it's it's its own culture. It's its own community. And I know every single person you meet at these ultra races, they're just, they're so disciplined. They're just like these like physical feats of like pure astonishment. You know what I mean? It's just, it's unreal every time I think about uh, some of these races that people do. And I know some of these people too, like including you and like other people in the community, like RJ Saria from Traverse Outdoors, you know, Elements of Daisy. There's a bunch of trail runners that I've become friends with now because of the podcast and also just becoming this hiker. So my my admiration is always constantly growing of trail runners and these ultra trail runners. Um, well, thanks. And also it is something that I think anyone, you know, if you if you have the desire you can enter it. And I want your listeners to know if they're like, oh, this seems impossible. It's like, no, 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 you can do it. You just have to take the right steps. And it's like, I gradually built up to that distance, right? Of like, okay, I did my 50K. And then it was like one year, I was like, shit, I'm going to do the 50 miler. And it was like, sign up, right? But that's what I mean. Once you sign up, you're in. And that means, oh, I got to step up my training to meet that, to become that person that's able to finish that race. And it's a really cool experience. And yeah, it's, you know, it's got some elitist like ego stuff and that's fun, but it's also good to know for your personal self, like that accomplishment feels really good. And I will always be proud of those experiences. And I think for anyone who's thinking about it, I highly suggest it because you won't regret, you know, finishing one of those races. Man, thanks for sharing all your stories and adventures, trail running, and even just, uh, you know, giving more info on the Badwater Basin race. Like I, I wanted to just talk about that briefly because it tied into, you know, uh, when I did Mount Whitney and I wouldn't even have appreciated that whole trip even more if I didn't understand, you know, how badass the Badwater Basin race was because it definitely added another element to my trip up there, you know, with my group, just like understanding what these people just went through running from Death Valley uh, National Park. Um, but now I want to chat with you actually about an incredible achievement that is not outdoor related, but is self-care and life related. And what I'm referring to 
is how you made a major lifestyle change and that you have been overcoming addiction and now live and maintain a sober lifestyle. So Devin, I want you to talk to me about what exactly you were struggling with, you know, what led to this drastic lifestyle change and, you know, what were the major tools that helped you achieve sobriety? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, so my, just to give a little background, what sucked me into alcohol and drugs, of course, like most people is I like to have fun and I like the, I like the way it made me feel, of course. Uh, the other thing is that being someone who was obsessed with productivity and progress, I was at least under the illusion, and for a time it was true, where I would use uh, drugs to per- push me to new limits. Um, so basically what happened is in, in my la- la- latter career of trail running, I would just take a bunch of painkillers and I'd run, you know, I'd I'd run a whole marathon, you know, like on a weekend, I'd be like, yeah, you know what, I'll just not feel this and kind of taking the easy way out. But it was just to me, I justified it by being like, oh, I can just get I can make more progress. Or when I was writing music with my band, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of Adderall because I just worked all day because I need to be in the studio all night. And I need to do all this work, right? So it became the justification was like, I need to max out my abilities. And I, I thought at the time that alcohol and drugs was the way to do that. And so very quickly, it started out as fun, then it was fun with consequences, and then it's consequences, right? And you'll hear that said from anyone like myself who's part of a 12-step program. That being said, what, um, what's really, what really helped me was the admission that I was um, an alcoholic, that when I put alcohol and drugs in my body, I'm the type of person that can't stop. And for me, it's more, 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 more. And it's no surprise mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, I start running. Oh, I'm going to go 50 miles. Like I got to take things to level, you know, 1500. And the average person might be like, hey, I'm good with a five mile jog. And for me, it's like, no, no, we got to do this run and this and that and like keep going. And so for me, that's just how I'm wired. And that's been my experience. And so for a while, I took uh, drugs and alcohol to fuel my productivity, to fuel my efforts, to fuel my ambitions. And for a time, it worked. And for a time, I could justify a lot of selfish and irrational decision-making. And so what happened is actually, I'd mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but when I got, when COVID hit, I discovered uh, a 12-step meetings online. And so that's what made that change even more drastic was I had hit a point where I was still consuming drugs and using them for the reasons that we had just talked about, of course, feeling good, justifying it for productivity, whatever, whatever reason I could come up with. Mm -hmm. And when COVID hit, I discovered, you know, 12 step meetings. And so I leaned in super, super, super hard. And I acknowledged finally, Hey, you know what? I've got a problem and I need help. And I got that help and I leaned in super, super hard. And it was so much easier than trying to do it by myself, because not only do I have a community of people that I can interact with that have that, but I have as a result of admitting that and doing the work within that 12 step program, I was able to build a tool set that has allowed me to stay sober and allowed me to continue to deepen my recovery. And for a guy like me who got to the point where I was like, oh, this is just the way I'm going to live. I'm always going to have to take drugs. I'm always going to have to put something in my body to feel okay. It's been a huge, huge game changer. 
Has it been easy? No. But the point is, those programs, they work really well if you are willing to put in the work. And for me, that means that, you know, I still attend meetings. I still, you know, work with someone. I still help other people. I do a lot of work. But for, for a guy like me who spent a lot of time, you know, burning, you know, relationships to the ground or friendships to the ground or um, what's the word? Burning out like with progress being like, oh, you know, I'm going to push, push, push hard. And, and then I'm going to push even harder because I've got a substance that's pushing me to, to artificial heights. And then I'm crashing, right? Like it would be like, okay, this whole week I'm working and I'm allowed to, you know, take drugs because I need to make progress with music and I got to get my band off the ground and we got this big show coming up or I got to write this song and finish this passage or work with this producer and arrange this, whatever it may be. It was like, I just, I was all about just turning the, turning the, the fuel up as high as possible. And, you know, eventually you get burned, eventually it catches up. And so for me, it caught up to me and I was just like, I'm done. I can't do this on my own. And so I guess if anyone is listening and feels like, hey, this is pretty hard to do on my own, or if you're someone that can relate to what I'm saying, I highly suggest that you try out a 12-step program, whatever your issue may be, precisely because it's extremely effective. And, and I, I went to any lengths to not deal with that reality. I, I, you know, I went to Tony Robbins seminar, uh, you know, tons of self-help. Uh, meditation, mm. diet changes. And the reality is, is that being able to just admit you have a problem and then going to a community that can help you is 10,000 times easier than trying to do it on your own. Yeah. Cause at that point you're owning, you're fully owning it about yourself and the healing and the building yourself up doesn't happen until that first, that first step of acknowledgement. Right. Yeah. That's the um, secret. And, and, and this is holds true in other things and I'll, I'll stop talking, but having the humility to understand like, look, I can't do it on my own. Like having yeah, humility. So it's, just true. Like, it's like a friend of yours. If you're like, no, I can do it. And you're like, Hey man, you're having trouble. And it's like, why don't you just say you're having trouble? You know, like people will help you if you're like, Hey, I'm having trouble. Like, what do you think? Oh, Hey, uh, do this, Devin, do that. Right. If it's with a business thing, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's like, if you can just get a, be okay with that surrendering process, like you're going to get answers in life a lot quicker than you would if you were like, trying to just tell people like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And it's like, maybe you're not. And that was my experience. I had to go through that process of thinking I was good to going through enough pain to be put into a state where I was reasonable enough to be like, yeah, you know what? I need help. Would you say that the pandemic for you was almost like this silver lining and blessing in terms of you deepening your recovery? Uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got to finally put the time and energy I needed into my recovery to get a sobriety that I could maintain and keep that was not just like, oh, I'm sober and this is dumb and I can't wait to party again. It was like, hey, I've lost the desire to party. That part of my life is over. Now I can focus my energy on productive things, whether that's you know personal development, helping others, you know, being a good son you know, being a good partner in a relationship, having a life that is fulfilling where I'm not, you know, lying to myself on a regular basis and doing, uh, participating in, uh, with unsavory characters doing weird stuff at like two in the morning, you know, and that was my thing mm -hmm. for a long time because it was fun, right? I'm not going to like, I'm not hating on anyone who does that because I did it for, you know, 10, 15 years and I loved it. But at some point in time, I stopped loving it. I just didn't, I, it was just consequences. Isn't it crazy how like this 
terrible global pandemic that happened like gave us it was like a great equalizer in a sense that we're all going through it right and now we have this extra time because some of us are furloughed or laid off or just life is kind of at a halt but it's like yo what do you do with that time and you chose to use that time to really recover and now since you did have the time that you could do more do more uh 12 step programs or meetings right that you could keep nourishing yourself with that constantly because i think what a lot of people, you know, what I learned from, you know, our conversations and your story, this is an ongoing process. It's not you're just recovered. It's you have to put in constantly the work every day. Yeah, and you're totally right. But the other side of that is that like I get to keep the sobriety I have and I really love my life. Like I feel great. I actually want to wake up. And for a long time, I was like, you know, unless I'm accomplishing something, my life is terrible. I don't feel good. I got to put something in my body. I can't wait to put something in my body. I can't wait till Friday, baby. So I can like, you know, do as many, you know, do alcohol and drugs and just go crazy with it. So I could feel be okay with myself. Now that was my problem. That's my experience. And maybe that may not be the experience for your listeners. That's not for me to judge, but I'm just giving you my experience, which was, sure. Hey, I saw that in myself. That's what happened. And it just got to a point where COVID became this beautiful thing because I was like, you know, the universe was like, hey, look, dude, you can't do your band stuff. Uh, you can't yeah. start You can't start that new job. You're locked in with everyone else. And by the grace of the universe, by the grace of God, whatever force you want to call it, I was given that opportunity where, you know, a friend of mine was like, hey, you should just go to these 12-step meetings on Zoom. And so I went on Zoom hardcore and, and I was able to... Wow to get that recovery because the program will work no matter what, if you're willing to put in the work. And I was, ha I happened to be in enough pain and sick and tired of being sick and tired. All these different cliches you hear in recovery. If any of your listeners are, listeners are familiar, but I just wanted to do the work. I wanted that part of my life to be over because for a guy like me, it wasn't fun anymore. I'm not the guy who can just go out with his friends and have a few drinks. For me, it's like sure. 10 drinks and then it's four in the morning and then I'm calling people I shouldn't call. I'm saying things I'm going to regret later to friends of mine, family members. And then I wake up the next day and I forget what happens. And it's like, that is not a good way to live. It's this never ending cycle that is, I feel all of us have lived to a certain degree, you know? Um, I feel that, and you know, I like that you always keep mentioning this, you know, like we all, some people, they like to enjoy themselves, whether it's substances or drinking, and some people can control themselves, but there's a lot of people out there where it's just that slippery, it's just that slippery slope because you might have like an addictive personality. So I just want to thank you for being so transparent, you know, and open with us because this podcast is, yes, it's about the outdoors and nature, but it's also about just like life and the things that we can do to improve ourselves. And I think it's such a beautiful thing that you've achieved sobriety because I just think with, you know, I've gone sober maybe for like two stints for like two to three months and I'm not sober now, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is that if you can try it out, I would highly suggest it because there's just so much clarity comes into your life. I feel when you're just clear minded, you're not waking up and losing momentum over a hangover or just feeling depressed from whatever you may enjoy doing, right? I just think I just think as I've gotten older and hopefully, you know, people just getting older in general, like 
it's so hard to keep resetting over and over again. Like you want to protect your energy. You want to protect your momentum and your mental headspace. It's so hard to keep getting derailed over and over again and then bringing yourself back up. So I just wanted to kind of uh, shoot those, uh, those thoughts of mine out there. Yeah, you know, and I think that's great. That's a great recommendation. And if you're someone who feels like your problem is at a point where you feel like it's out of control, which was was my conclusion, and it's very hard to see that when you're in it, like, mm-hmm. get get help. Like, there's no shame in it. Like, this isn't like nobody's going to be applauding you, you know, and your family be like, wow, you did it by yourself. It's like, hey, listen, like, if you're not doing well, it's chances are like what you're doing isn't working. So if you're at that point where it's so unmanageable, like, that's what this is for. So there's no shame. Get help. Show up. Be courageous. Get into that if you are in a situation that has become completely unmanageable. And, and of course, for listeners who are not of that type of like myself, um, yes, of course, sobriety is a way better long-term solution just because, I mean, you know, drugs and alcohol give you fun at a price. There's always an exchange. And if you're trying to if you're trying to get to your best, if you're trying to get to your maximum potential, you are not going to do that if you are abusing those substances. Thanks, man. I'm sure uh, this resonates with a lot of people listening because a lot of us like to have a good time, you know, or blow off steam because we have stressful jobs or we're going through something. So what do we naturally do? We go to happy hour, we go to drinking, we go to other substances, right? Of course. So, and it's a very slippery slope, especially depending on the kind of person you are and your personality. So thanks for sharing all that, man. Like, um, I know a lot of the people on here will get extract a lot of value from that. And I know I, a lot of people use the mountains and the outdoors to help with this. Also, you know, potential problem of theirs, it helps them maintain. I know I had a podcast guest before where she told, uh, admitted on the podcast that, you know, like the mountains and hiking help her maintain sobriety, right? Because it is like this, there's something in the mountains and the trails that's like also very healing, right? It builds you back up. It makes you realize like, hey, like I can have this other kind of lifestyle and not mix it necessarily with my old lifestyle. Like I can just focus on this. Totally. And that's the thing. It's like what you got to find what works for you, right? And so I, I think that the other thing that sobriety opens up is like you have to learn how to have fun in a new way. And yes, exactly. That, and that's been another experience for me and during COVID and all this stuff is just like, whoa, man, I'm, I'm learning how to live again. Because my, my go-to was like, okay, I did the work, I did some stuff, and it's party time, you know? And it's like living for the weekend or living for partying is, is not necessarily, it's like, I, I didn't want to be that person who was like, always had to have a drink in his hand or always putting something in his body instead of just being like, Hey man, why can't you just hang out with your friends and just be there? And that wasn't really possible for me until I, you know, did the work in, in a program to get sober. And so, you know, everyone's got their tools with it. I'm not here to tell other people what to do. I'm just sharing my experience. And so, but if you can connect to what I'm saying, you know, it it might be something to consider. Another transformation I'd love to highlight about your journey is your recent transition from building a band from scratch and being this successful songwriter to now becoming a life and purpose coach. And with this transition, like what sparked it? And let us know more about this new professional endeavor into coaching. I'm just so excited for you. It makes so much sense. Now that I think back on a lot of our previous conversations and just 
the different points in your life. Like this makes so much sense for you. You were always doing it. You just were, you know, trying to build your band up and all these other creative endeavors, you know, as a songwriter, producer, and manager of your own brand, manager of your own band that little did you know that you had been nurturing this like coaching like mindset inside of you. And now you're sharing it with other people and elevating them up and elevating them up to a better, higher state of well-being. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. So you bring up a really good point. And that was the conclusion that I came to. So my dream was that I wanted to be a, a, a life coach because I liked watching the people that I coached and I talked to like break through barriers and like have them like realize, oh, you can do this and like seeing the joy in their face and being like, yeah, I did it. And I'm like, see, you can do it. You know, and that there's a lot of fulfillment in that, um, mm. having that sort of quasi mentor role or whatever you want to call it. And what I thought was in order for me to start this business, the old idea I had was, oh, you know what? I have to be a really successful songwriter. Like I got to blow up in the charts or whatever, because why would people want what I have unless, you know, because that's a big deal. It's like, hey, man, you're an established musician. Everybody craves that exotic form of success. So that's like that's like the proof, the proof that people need to see. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't do well with music. But there are more things that need to influence whether or not someone blows up. But for me, the level of songwriting that I achieved was definitely at an excellent level, given my taste and what other people had said about it and the shows that we did. So, you know, that and that's the decision that I made for myself. That's not saying that I'm that I don't do music anymore. But the idea was I didn't need to wait to start the new venture. And so what happened is, hey, you know what? I looked back on what I'd been doing for the last decade or so with music and working with groups of artists. And I was like, you know what? I have been motivating or talking to these people or helping them work through stuff to stay committed to our group and our vision the entire time. Because, because here's the thing, here's how music works. Hey, I need to incentivize you to work together with me and there's no guarantee of money. And guess what? You probably have to have a full-time job. Everyone in your family is going to call you an idiot or tell you to be more practical. And society around you in general is just going to be like, that's a ridiculous pursuit. So I would constantly have to deal with people that wanted to quit, were having bad days, and I would have to put my feelings aside to step into the game and coach them and get them to give that performance in the studio, do that show, stay committed to the venture. And that is a lot of work. A lot of people don't understand that. It's like when you when you have a band... It's not just like, oh, hey, you're good at your instrument. Yeah, I was damn good at playing the guitar because I got a degree in it. Of course, you'd you'd expect nothing less, but that's like the tip of the iceberg. What it really comes down to with music is it's not about playing music at all. It's all the other stuff that goes into it. It's like 95% managing personalities and getting people together and like 5% playing and recording. And people like, you know... When people say things like I can tell they don't know what they're talking about, they're like, oh, you must be talented and lucky, huh? And it's like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, it's like you can say that to anybody. It's like, oh, you know, the the person who, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you're talented and lucky. And it's like, yeah, sure. Like you can say that for anything. And so people, they make they, they make these like quick comments and it's like, man, you don't have no idea what goes in the adventure. So much of it has to do with like managing personalities, pushing people through uncomfortable barriers and it's and it's 
it's an awesome process, but it takes a tremendous amount of energy and it takes a tremendous amount of self-motivation. And so because I was committed to that goal for so long, I had to, by necessity, get good at coaching people through massive self-limiting beliefs, myself included, because when I coached them, it reconnected me to the ideas that I had inside myself and so that we became fired up together so then we could reach that goal together, right, as a group. And so it, it, I just developed those muscles of, you know, t- preaching what, preaching a philosophy and then acting my way into living that philosophy. And so basically what happened during COVID is like, look, music is shut down. There ain't no Coachella. You know, shows are just starting to start back up, right? And so for me, I was like, well, this is a great time. I'm just going to start the business. And so what I did is I, I uh, the company, by the way, is called Better to Greater. The website is bettertograter.com. At Instagram, it's better.to.greater, better.to.greater. On Instagram, bettertograter.com. Anyways, the point is, is I just, you know, and I recommend this for people who are listening. I'm like, okay, I'm starting this business in COVID. Things are still kind of locked down. Who knows what's going on in the world with all, with all this stuff. And so I just grabbed friends of mine and I just offered them coaching for free. And so I started coaching very quickly. I went from zero to like having 10 people that I was coaching. Now it was pro bono, but the point was, is I was doing it. I could say, Hey, I'm coaching. Hey, I'm dealing with 10 different unique situations, 10 different unique sets of circumstances and problems. And so some of those guys, I asked them, I said, Hey man, why don't you pay me what you want? And I'm still coaching some of those guys that I started with and they're getting results. And for me, the number one thing is providing value and getting you to move through self-limiting beliefs. The money will come later. And so what I suggest is, and now I have you know a handful of paid clients that I charge full price for, but the point is, is I'm not going in there guns blazing trying to charge people. I'm going in there guns blazing trying to provide maximum value and service. And and to make a difference because this matters to me because on a scale of one to 10, this is a 10 in terms of emotionally compelling. And for listeners who are starting a new venture and trying to get the, that, um, that, that ball rolling, I say, you know, start, if you're starting a business, help people for free, provide value first, because I tried that with this venture and sure enough, the money's coming because you know why I'm making a difference in people's lives. I'm not trying to be like, well, what am I going to charge? I got to charge this. I got to make sure this. And it's like, yo, 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 you're thinking with the wrong motive. You can't just be pure profit motive, you know, because you can feel that you can feel when a place is pure profit motive. It's like, oh, cool. And, And we've all worked for companies that are like bottom line. And it's like, oh, cool. Cog in the machine, that feel. But when somebody can provide an experience and that's what I like about this is like, yeah, pay me. I got to eat. This is a business. But like, make sure you're getting value from me. Make sure that like what I'm telling you and you're applying, make sure it's working for you. And so it's been this amazing experience where I've had to continue to, to grow my mindset in so many areas of my life to make sure I lead by example as a coach, right? I got to keep mm-hmm. stepping my game up. I got to keep my sobriety. I got to try new ventures. I've got to grow my own business to lead by example, instead of just being somebody who is spouting a bunch of like spiritual stuff on the sidelines and being like, Hey man, you know, if, if you do what you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I go, wow, you've never done what you've actually loved. Because when I talk to people and myself, if you're trying to make money with the thing that you love, you got to work every day of your life. And Damn. that's, 
right? Yeah. That's facts right there. You know, you're doing music, you're doing b-boying, you're doing trekking, you're doing mountaineering, you're doing ultra running. You got to grind all the time. And people don't seem to get that because as soon as it feels like work, they're like, oh, but I heard somebody say at my office at five o'clock who was like this fat dude on a computer watching YouTube that, hey, man, you know what they say that, you know, if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life. Now, I'm just making a character here. But the point is, it's like that <laughs> sure. guy who's given that armchair advice. And it's like, dude, what do you know? Have you done anything even remotely close to that? Have you started a venture? Because the reality is, is it is work. It's a lot of work. The difference is the outcome is an emotional 10 out of 10. What you're doing right now, Justin, with this podcast, you never know where it's going to take you. And I'm sure on some level, you know that. And so it's exciting. You're like, hey, I'm going to get this guest on who's in the community. I'm going to get this person on. They inspire me. And so what happens is you get to have a great experience because you're operating from love. You're operating from inspiration. You're not operating from like, oh, another podcast. Oh, I don't want to go on this hike and you know it's like mm -hmm. and i'm not saying you don't have days where you don't feel like it but generally speaking it's not like when you're at work right totally damn you just dropped a lot of <laughs> so many gems right now man i know a big thing with your um with your new coaching endeavor is and uh, you just mentioned it is this idea of growth mindset and the importance of getting your inner game really strong can you kind of speak to that a bit more yes absolutely so First and foremost, inner game to me, in my experience, has been the most important thing because strategies are available for you out there, right? You can figure out how to write the best song and, and follow structures and all that. But if you don't have the inner belief that you're capable of it, you are not going to take the action. You're not going to put in the work. You're not going to deal with the obstacles. So what I mean is that getting rid of those self-limiting beliefs is critical to getting those outcomes. And that is your inner game. Your inner game is how you perceive yourself and, and your attitude towards your venture, yourself and others and constantly working on that to improve it. How can I show up and be even better? How can I show up and be of even greater service? How can I, you know, deal with uncomfortable situations and, and uh, grow from them? And that, that anti-fragile mindset of being tough because you've been conditioned by so many difficult experiences, that's going to give people the edge because you can know there's a lot of guys who know how to do a lot of things, but they don't have the mentality to actualize it. There's a lot of people that are like, hey, I'm a musician. Now I go, okay, great. Cool. Have you, have you, have you, have you gone through the process of releasing an album? Okay, let's talk. Have you done a show yet? Oh, no, I haven't done a show. Well, talk to me when you've done a show. Okay, have you done a show and then had the band blow apart and then put the band back together and then have the band blow apart and then put it back together and then move somewhere and then change your sure. style? You see what I'm saying? So there's more and more challenges. And have each you been one through the trenches? Have you <laughs> been through the, the trenches? Yeah, what, what are you, let me see your receipts. Let me see your receipts. Mm. Because what I'm getting at here is that that's how you build the inner game. And that's what I do with, with people that I work with is I push them to take incremental steps to get maximum progress. But usually those incremental steps are in areas where they have those self-limiting beliefs where they're like, yeah, but I don't know if we can play a show yet. And I go, schedule the show. Let's make it happen because now you got to do it, right? Or, hey, I don't know if I can join the gym. I'm insecure. It's like, well, dude, how do you want to get over that insecurity? You got to go to the gym and you got to work out in front of people. There's no... There's no getting around it. You know, we live in this culture where people are like so quick to tell you, hey, you know, you're fine just the way you are. And I'm like, why do you tell people that? 
And I'm not trying to hate on people, but really what I'm trying to say is like, if you tell someone they're fine the way they are, you're denying the possibility of who they could be. Damn. That's what I'm saying. It's like, why don't you want more for that person? It's like, maybe that guy who's got the weight problem can lose the weight. And then maybe he can do something else with his life. And then he can be like, man, I'm so glad I did the work. And it's like, when we tell people, hey, you're fine. You're okay. Yada, yada, yada. You know, let's, let's prioritize emotions over people's reality. Then we're in trouble because maybe you're not fine. Maybe you're overweight. You don't have a job. You hate your friends. Blah, 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 blah. And guess what that means? That means you need to do the work. And that's okay. It's just embracing the fact you need to do the work. It's having the humility to be like, yeah, I don't have all the answers. Oh, big surprise. Neither do I. You know, so getting into that, having that mindset, I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but really what what I'm getting at here because I'm fired up is, you know, it's about doing the work. And that inner game is going to get shaped if you do the work, if you take the incremental steps. And it's not rocket science. But sometimes you need somebody to point out, hey, look, dude, you just need to make that tough phone call you don't want to make. Hey, dude, you got you to gotta publish like you, know, like you right? If you're going to do another podcast. You got to post to Instagram. You got to build a brand. Maybe you connect with the sponsor. Maybe you got to do another hike. And there are days where you're like, I don't want to do that stuff. But you do it anyways because in the grand scheme of things, it's worth it. Devin, bring in that passion. And that's how I know you're the real deal, man. Like, Just how you got fired up right now is it's what it's about. If you didn't believe in this thing, you wouldn't be talking with such conviction, you know? Thank you. I appreciate that, man. What would you say is the most common self-limiting belief a lot of these people that you work with have? Um, I mean, usually it's like it's the classic thing is fear that, you know, that you're not capable of it or that you're not good enough or that if you do it, you'll be rejected by people around you. So if you if you you know, start some, like, for example, a great example is music. Well, my family's going to reject me because my family wants me to be a lawyer or an accountant. And, but I really want to write a song and I want to, you know, know what that feels like. And, you know, that fear, it's like, you gotta like getting people to learn how to not give an F is like really important to that. That's a great example of that. The other one is like, maybe I'm not capable. Maybe I don't have the ability to write a song, for example. And it's like, well, have you tried? No, I haven't tried, but it looks really hard. And it's like, well, have you tried? Well, no, I haven't tried, but it looks really hard. And it's like, well, try. Okay, I tried. And it's like, well, let's try a little bit harder or let's change our Mm -hmm. strategy. So those are the things right there where it's like either they're worried about what other people think or they don't have confidence in their own abilities to make something happen. Right on. Man, I'm just so, this makes so much sense for you, Devin. Like (laughs) when you told me that, uh, when you finally caught up a few weeks ago, right, and you told me this new uh, endeavor that you were starting up, I was like, oh, my God, this <laughs> this makes too much sense. You have been doing this not only with your friends, like, you know, unofficially, but you've been doing this with all the creative endeavors you've done, whether it's managing that band and managing different personalities. Because I always remember a lot of our conversations when we would catch up with each other is like how you're always helping someone constantly putting your feelings aside and really stepping into those shoes and then helping yourself at some point. Right. But I know that process could have been really draining, but it helped you really sharpen, you know, your intellect and how to communicate and manage different situations and scenarios where people may have found themselves in. So I applaud you, man, on your new endeavor. Well, thank you. And it is, it is a pleasure. And one other gem I want to drop while we're on that topic is yes, 
Two things I want to share. So if you are setting a goal, okay, in the audience, whatever that may be, if it's lose weight or I want to do a trail run, there are two things that happen when you set a goal. One, you give yourself a target to go to. And two, you now have to become a new person to achieve that goal. So it's about setting a goal that's ambitious or a reach. And it's also about the journey itself of who you have to become to be the person that runs 50 miles, who you have to become to start a successful podcast, who you have to become to launch that startup off the ground, whatever it may be, or who you have to become to lose that weight. If you're losing weight, maybe it's I got to get over my fear of looking overweight and lifting in front of people. I got to get disciplined. All of those things, that is the experience. That's the growth. So setting goals and then understanding that it's not just about the goal. It's also about who you become to achieve that goal in the process. Yeah, becoming a new person to achieve that goal or reinventing yourself to achieve that goal is, <laughs> man, a lot of that just resonated super hard right now. Yeah, in order to achieve these new accomplishments or objectives, you do got to become this new person and shed off that old skin. Facts. Right on. All right, that was, that was great, man. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, let's jump back into the, uh, the outdoors. Of course. And I wanted to, uh, just ask you like a overall general question because I've always known you as this, you know, trail runner, ultra trail runner. And I just got to ask you, Devin, like how has running slash trail running just enriched your life overall? Oh man. Um, it's given me just countless memories, experiences, a new connection to nature, uh, connection to spirituality. It's in, it's increased my confidence, my physical ability. It's 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 almost like taking taking like like your your other listener mentioned about Alamir Falls is like washing your soul. You know, like you know, for people that are getting into trails, you know, whatever it may be, if it's hiking, running, it's so worth it. Like I never regret a trail run. I'm never like, oh man, I really wish I didn't do that. I'm always like, man, I am so glad. I didn't feel like it, but I did it. I feel wonderful. Even before this call, I went on a short trail run uh, near where I'm living. And guess what? Do I regret it? Absolutely not. It was a great experience. So, you know. I got to mention this. One thing from our friendship that I so always stuck with me throughout the years is you would always talk about this concept of operating out of a good headspace. And that has always stuck with me because you would mention to me that many times whether we make decisions or we say things out of emotional swings, right? And we're not in a good headspace. We're in a negative headspace. We're in an embarrassed headspace or whatever it is. And you need to have tools at your disposal that help you get into a better headspace, into a good headspace, and then go forth out into the world and then operate from there because only better things are going to happen if you operate out of a more stable headspace. And I just want to show you major props because that's something that I've always taken from uh, our friendship is what are the things you can do to get yourself into a good headspace and operate out of that? So I just want to thank you. Hey, I received that. And that's true, right? You're talking about state management, which is just the idea of, hey, look, don't be making decisions if you're about to have a panic attack. Be like, oh, you know, I, I got to I quit the job. And it's like, dude, if you're hungover and you're having a panic attack, that is not the time to make a decision that's going to have a drastic impact sure. on your life. It's like, 
You're going to make better decisions from a centered, relaxed, peaceful headspace. So go take that hike. Go for that run. Go to the gym. Call a friend. Calm down. And then think about what you're dealing with, right? And that's- Man, such great life advice right there. Such great life advice. Um, I even I do, I use the sauna to get in a good headspace too. Um, it's great. And I'm, I'm sure you went on that trail run, so it put you in a better mood and headspace before the podcast. I myself too, usually when I- do these podcast recordings, I will run around the park or do some kind of physical activity to imp- improve my overall mood, right? And totally. just so I feel good. And it just, it's just so amazing how like operating out of a good headspace just translates to a better life and to better decisions. You're 100% right. I couldn't agree with you more. Right on. Yeah, it sounds like it's given you so much. And I'm really happy that, uh, you know, the trails and trail running has really just made you an overall badass of a human. You're also just one of the smartest people I know. I ever, I still remember from college, you are so well-spoken and very articulate. Um, and on the topic of uh, outdoor experiences still, I'm really excited to ask this question because it's one I've been introducing into the podcast more recently. And if there was one outdoor experience you could relive all over again, what would that be? Um. Take a moment. I know it's. Uh, I know you've had several outdoor experiences, whether it's on the trails or trail running, or even hikes. Probably the Marin fifty miler, just because I was in such a mm. difficult emotional place, and then I like summoned up the the willpower to do something that was a big challenge, and I finished really strong. And it was like the whole race was just like hard, and there yeah. was so much so much beauty and so much pain at the same time. And it was, it was just an intense experience. So probably that race. Something our listeners definitely resonate with. So much beauty and pain all at the same time. So the Marin headlands, huh? Oh, yeah. All day. All day. Yeah, man. I'll have to get up there just to even hike around and explore. I've, when I saw the photos and I looked up some of the, the routes and the trail running routes there, I was like, oh, my God. This is like, does not look real. This is like beautiful, like ocean views. and lush hills everywhere and the trails just look so phenomenal yeah it's gorgeous it's amazing all right guess what what it's time for the rapid fire question section so the way that works is there's two sections or two rounds the first one is outdoor focused and then the second round is more personal so you just answer with one word answers or very short and concise answers Yes, sir. You ready? I'm in. You ready for round one? Okay. You ready, Rocksteady? Yes, sir. All right, let's get it. Favorite trail snack? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Hike in the mountains or sunbathe on the beach? Hike in the mountains. Trail runners or hiking boots? Trail runners. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) Why did I even throw that question in there? Rock scrambling or surfing loose scree? Surfing loose scree. Dang. <laughs> I like that you said that. Most people choose the latter, uh, the rock scrambling. Desert or deserted island? Ooh. Desert. Waterfalls or lakes? Lakes. Dawn or dusk? Dawn. 
NorCal or SoCal at this moment? Oh, SoCal. National park you want to visit the most that you have not already? Yosemite. You haven't been to Yosemite? Oh, no, Yellowstone. Sorry, I've been to Yosemite. I mean Yellowstone. Yellowstone for the record. Yellowstone for the Favorite record. Favorite outdoor brand? Mm, probably Hoka for the trail shoes. Dude. Hoka's killing it right now. Like a lot of my friends have those speed goats or the trail running shoes. They're so stylish and the colorways are just really dope looking. Yeah, you can run anywhere with them. Like you can run on like a bed of nails. <laughs> <They're so laughs> <laughs> what a great visual. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, no problem. In one word, how does trail running make you feel? Empowered. What's your ideal outside temperature? 72. Awesome. That concludes the first round. Take a quick 10-second break, and we'll jump into round two. Quick water break. Okay, go for it. All right. Round two, you ready? I think so. You ready, Rock Steady? Yes, sir. You're like one of the few people I feel that actually knows what like Rock Steady is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, favorite comfort food Ooh, ribs first time i've got that <laughs> favorite cartoon show growing up oh ren and stimpy you crazy boy of course you would say ren and stimpy favorite emoji oh uh uh the tear like the sweat drop emoji like you know the favorite? little sweat drop yeah absolutely favorite holiday Fourth of July. Favorite music artist right now, or if I had to rephrase that, who are you listening to the most at the moment? Uh, let me think about that. There's an artist called Brother Tiger who makes really good new wave music, a lot like Neon Indian. Super good, super good music. I just want to give you your props right now. Like, Just Trek listeners... Devin has put me on to so much amazing, eclectic kinds of music ever since college. So I wouldn't know about a lot of these indie bands or indie artists if it wasn't for you. So you definitely are one of my close friends who have put me on to some great artists over the past decade. So appreciate that. I received that. Thank you, Justin. App you are currently using the most besides Instagram? Probably YouTube. Favorite superhero? Ooh, this is a good one. Favorite superhero? I think Thor is pretty cool. If you could be any animal, what would you be? Mm. Oh, probably like an eagle. Flying seems like it's pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of the guests always say like, you know, birds because of the, the feeling of flying is just unreal, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've never flown. <laughs> it looks cool, though. Yeah. I mean, one thing I always remembered uh, about trail runners, they say like trail running feels like flying. And that really gravitated me towards the idea of getting into it slowly. 
Yeah. In, in some ways that's true, especially when you're on downhills and you're super deep in a race. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I really enjoy it at the moment. My beginning journey. All right. I'm getting off track. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go back to? Uh, ooh, great question. Great question. Probably 2009. Um, kind of. That's kind of a joke. Because when people <laughs> get like, oh, why don't you? That's, that was literally 10 years ago. Uh, I would say probably the 80s. I'd like to go back to 1983. 80s for the record. Great music. Yeah, 70s, 80s, man. That would have been such a great time to just see how the culture was and just be immersed in that whole scene. All right. The next one is describe yourself in three words. Uh, ambitious, kinetic, emotional. And here's the last question. Favorite sound? Oh, great question. Great question. Especially for you. My favorite sound, if I think about it, is if it's three or four in the afternoon and you're in Southern California and you're taking a nap and you hear a biplane go over your head. That like that sound of the of like a of a propeller plane going over your head is one of the most peaceful sounds. Cause usually if I think about my childhood, it's like when I was like falling asleep or it was late afternoon and that lull of the afternoon, that lull of the day, and it's just the sound of peace. Wow. First time heard that on the podcast. Very unique. All right, that concludes the rapid fire question section. And now we're pretty much at the end of the episode, but I always turn the spotlight back to the guest. Devin, do you have any final words or thoughts that you want to impart to the audience? It could be about anything. It could be about the outdoors, trail running, whatever you want your final thought to be. And after you get into all that and share that final thought, you know, tell us where we can find you on Instagram and where we can find your, uh, your new coaching endeavor. Absolutely. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, if you are afraid to do something, take some action to do it. You will feel better about your life immediately. Look in the mirror. If that means you've got a, a business that you want to start, call someone that's in the field that you want to get into and just have a conversation. If it's a gym you want to join, call the gym, see where it's at, go check it out. Get into action. The life, the adventure is right there in front of you. You just have to do the work to make it happen. But it's right there. You can change your life right now. And where can we find you in social media land? And also, uh, do you have a website up? I know you mentioned it earlier. If you want to plug that again, go ahead. I'm definitely going to shamelessly plug that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my website is bettertograter.com. So that's better, the word to, greater, all one word, bettertograter.com. You can sign up if you want coaching with me. I coach in person or I coach over Zoom. You can sign up. You can pay for it. The first session is free to see if you like me and if you think I can help you with your particular set of issues. Again, that's bettertograter.com. Follow me on Instagram at better.to.greater. That's better.to.greater. That's my Instagram handle. I'll be pumping out content. I also have a Better to Greater YouTube channel where I'm just starting to put out content, but you can follow uh, that Instagram for videos of what I think is inspiring content or just gems about progress, purpose, etc. So again, bettertograter.com is my website. That's the name of my company. And feel free to contact me if you need some help.
Yeah, guys, check out his stuff. I've been friends with Devin since 2005. I have nothing but praise to give him. He's helped me out through a lot of, you know, emotional lows throughout my journey. You know, I also go through lows, the highs and lows. And he's always been someone that's really helped me get in a much better headspace and has just helped me build myself back up as well. Um, Even if we weren't in contact for however long, like whenever we would talk, we would just feel like nothing really changed and always provided so much awesome friendship and great advice. Well, thank you. And you've also been a great friend as well. I'm going to throw it right back at you. And you've also- Bromance. <laughs> yeah, 100%, 100%, dude, because we got a lot of love here in the room. We've known each other for a long time. We've been through a lot of stuff. And I'm really proud of what you're doing right now. And it's really cool to see you build momentum, make a difference in the community, be that guy I know who's helping connect other people to great experiences, just like you did with me, and then also just be a leader yourself. So I'm really, uh, I'm really uh, honored to be on your podcast. And it was great. You let me ramble about some life coaching stuff and, and share my experience. And, um, you know, for your listeners, follow this dude, this dude is going places. Trust me, I watched him go from a dude in a dorm room with a small dance club to having like, like, you know, us performing at halftime shows to us being connected with people that were like on America's best dance crew. And so you think you can dance. The dude can, the dude's got the juice. So hang in there. This guy's going places. Damn. That's love right there, bro. And we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much, Devin, for being on the show. We've, (laughs) I think you're one of the few guests I've known, like the longest that I've had on here. So it's really great to reconnect and share your story and amplify your voice. And yeah, guys, that concludes the episode. Devin Kelts, Better to Greater, Just Trek Podcast, Elevation is our recreation, and we're out. Peace. Peace. Thank you, gracias and salamat for tuning in to the entire episode. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are streaming on all the major platforms. If you want to send me a message, email justtrekofficial at gmail.com or slide in my DMs on Instagram at just.trek or on my personal at justrock, J-U-S-T-R-O-C. If you would like to support my creative endeavors, check out the merch store on justtrek.net slash shop. For more outdoor inspiration, make sure to check out our website. We have blogs, vlogs, and trip reports. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a wonderful day, and please remember to just keep on trekking.